everyone. My name is Charles, the lead pastor here. Welcome to Zoom Sunday service here at the river. We're so glad you could join us. For today's sermon, I'd like to address the question, what does it mean to serve God? Lots of Christians believe that the highest purpose in life is to serve God. So in churches, you hear lots of sermons to exhort people to serve God. But what you don't hear as much is how to serve God the right way. The assumption is serving God is the absolute good. So as long as people try to serve God, it's all good. But what about those 9-11 terrorists? They were trying to serve God. They were passionate enough to give their lives for what they thought was service unto God. So obviously there is a right way and the wrong way to serve God and it's really important to get it right. So how do we serve God the right way? That's the topic for today. Now, in most people's minds, serving God usually involves one or more of the following. First, going on missions to try to convert people to Christian faith, spreading the gospel. You've seen them, missionaries. In some sects, like the Mormons, missions work is actually compulsory. Almost every Mormon goes on a mission for like a couple of years. You've seen those Mormon missionaries, right? Now, that's not the only way to serve God. Another common way is to serve the poor and the needy. You've heard of Mother Teresa. She is an icon of a servant of God. She led an organization called Missionaries of Charity dedicated to serving the poor. And there are others like them, like the World Vision or Asha, or when there are natural disasters, many Christians go into action to relieve the suffering. That's a great way to serve God. Or another popular take on serving God, especially these days, is to take a stand for God against today's backsliding secular culture in uh, many people's minds. Many Christians see themselves as the last defense against godlessness of this secular uh, world. Culture warriors in today's politics in America is very much the fashion, uh, the Christian conservatives fighting a battle against the secular world, fighting for Christmas, fighting for prayer in school, fighting against abortion and gay rights. That's quite a popular way to serve God in much of the Bible Belt today, even though there's a lot of problems with this kind of thinking. But, I understand why people think of these things when they think of serving God. I myself have thought in these terms in the past, especially when I was a young Christian. I was fired up with zeal to do something for God, speaking for God standing up for God as if God needs little old me to stick up for God. But it's very popular for pastors 
to preach about sacrificing our time, money, our life for something that's in the interest of God. Because that's in our interest. Pays for our salary, after all. And I do want to encourage you all to volunteer and try to help out our church, especially when we reopen in August. Uh, right now, August 15th is our target date for actually reopening. It's going to be awesome when that happens. And when it happens, we need lots of help, especially with our kids' church. We need volunteers. Because if you don't help, then we won't get church. We just won't have the manpower to offer these services. And since we all presumably like our church, that's why you come, um, please help out. We need you to serve so we can meet together. But it has to be done the right way, with the right attitude. Otherwise, all these seemingly good things will end up with bad fruit, even if our intentions are good. Much of it hinges on one factor. That is, if we do all these things with the mentality that we are doing something for God, as if God benefits from our service, it will result in bad fruit. Even though this attitude is very common for most religions, from pagan religions where you sacrifice animals or even human beings for the gods they worshipped because presumably the gods benefited from these sacrifices to modern day religions around the world this concept of doing something for God is very pervasive but the true Christian attitude towards serving God must be radically different from that common assumption. Listen to this declaration in the Bible from Acts chapter 17. God is not served by human hands as if God needed anything. Rather, God gives everyone life and breath and everything else. Makes sense, right? Totally reasonable declaration. Bible is telling us straight out. God does not need anything from human beings as if God needs some help. Instead, it's God who gives us life itself and everything else we need. So let's have some perspective here. We human beings are puny compared to God, right? Do we agree? I mean, who do we think we are? How arrogant would we have to be to think God needs something from us as if God needed something. That's a very small God and a very big me. It's quite insulting to God, really, to think God needs something done uh, by me because God couldn't do it. Right? Because what? God is too lazy or incompetent? or incapable? Come on, that's ridiculous. That's what this verse is pointing at. I love it when the Bible makes such great points against common assumptions. Um, it's just wonderful. 
Now, this point is not just from the New Testament either. It is repeated in the Old Testament too. In fact, it's illustrated really well by this passage we are going to look at today. We are in a sermon series called Understanding the Bible Through Jesus. Going through all the major characters in the Bible, one by one, in chronological order. And we are at the book of Judges now. And we now come upon one of the most fascinating passages in the Bible. Let's take a look. Judges chapter 7. Early in the morning, Jerubbaal, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Moran. The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel would boast against me that my own strength has saved me. So now announce to the army, Anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, There are still too many men. Take them down to the water and I will thin them out for you there. If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told them, Separate those who lap the water with their tongues like a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. Three hundred of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, With the three hundred men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept the 300, who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. What an interesting passage. So here's the situation. The nation of Midian had been oppressing the nation of Israel, people of faith, for quite a long time. So Israel rebels. And now they are at war. The army of Midian comes out to uh, stomp out the rebellion. So they are facing each other and the numbers were estimated to be about 120,000 soldiers in the Midianite army against about 30,000 in Israeli army. So the odds are not very good for Israel. They are outnumbered about four to one. But then God gives this insane command to Gideon to whittle down the army further to 300 people. 300 soldiers against like 120,000. That's insane, don't you think? Even the Avengers may have a hard time with this, right? But then Gideon obeys and wins a total victory. Now in this situation, is Gideon and Israel serving God? Or is God serving Israel? God says this in the passage. You have too many men. 
I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel would boast against me. What is God saying? God does not want Israel to think they won this victory because of their virtue. This is the point of the passage. Israel, the people of faith, will boast. They will get a big head. They'll think, we have served God. We have brought glory to God. We stood up for God. Sound familiar? Lots of Christians do this today. But it's clear God doesn't want that. God wants to make it crystal clear it is God who meets our needs, not the other way around. Right? But this is a point we forget again and again. And we end up with a big head, a sense of righteousness, a sense of entitlement. Because we end up thinking we serve God, we're doing God a favor. I confess I have fallen into this trap many times myself. Whenever something bad happens to me, I tend to think, God, how could you do this to me? How could you let this happen? I have served you all these years. I am a pastor. I have given my life to the service of God instead of making money or something. So God, you owe me. You need to protect me. It's easy to get disappointed in God, get mad at God because of our sense of entitlement. It happens to most Christians, at least in the subconscious. Happens to everyone I know, actually. Gideon too ended up with a strong sense of entitlement. He ended up thinking, I saved the nation. I glorified God by winning a glorious victory. The proof of that lies in the fact that he ended up having 70 sons who lived like a prince, every single one of them. 70 sons! How many wives and concubines did Gideon get? One of the sons, Gideon, named one of his sons, My father is the king! <laughs> he got a pretty big head, don't you think? Gideon's attitude put the whole nation of Israel under a huge pressure to support all these princes. 70 princes who lived lavish lives. It takes a lot of support to support all that. The family of Gideon oppressed the people of Israel so much, eventually Israel rebelled. Just like before, under the oppression of Midian, this time you just switched the oppressor from Midian to Gideon's family. That's a warning to us. When we think we are serving God, it can give us a big head, feelings of self-righteousness, that we've done all these things for God. God owes me. I'm a saint. I'm a pastor. I'm an elder. I'm a priest. I'm a missionary. I'm a devoted Christian. So this thought creeps in. I am owed. No, no, and no. That kind of puffed up big head will lead us to hell. So what's the right way to serve God then? If God needs nothing from us. Well, as usual, Jesus gives a clear guidance. John chapter 13. A new command I give to you. Unconditionally love one another. As I have loved you unconditionally, so you must love one another unconditionally. Christians are called to follow a new command that fulfills all the other commands of God. Unconditional love. Agape love. The right way to serve God is to live by agape love and to spread it. 
We can't go wrong if we keep this in mind. In missionary work, if we practice unconditional love, we will not go wrong. There will be no manipulation like, like giving people food only if they convert. That kind of thing gives missionaries bad names. But if they were unconditionally loving, universally kind to every human being, converts or not, well, that's going to be welcomed by anyone. And if we serve the poor, but it's all unconditional, it will not go wrong. We will not end up with a big head. Because it's all unconditional. There's no possibility of sense of entitlement developing. No pride is possible. No insecurity is possible. Because conditions like, I have served God, I have helped the poor, I'm a good person, these are all conditions that can give us a big head. But all these conditions are nullified before the grace of the cross. None of that can stand before the unconditional grace of the cross. So, this is the best way to serve God. As 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31 tells us, as a preamble to one of the most famous passages ever. So let's end today's sermon by reading this lovely passage together. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I will now show you the best way to serve God. If I speak in the language of men or angels, but do not have unconditional love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging symbol. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have unconditional love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have unconditional love, I gain nothing. Unconditional love is patient. It is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Unconditional love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Unconditional love never fails. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us. I really appreciate you taking the time to be with us. I hope you enjoy the sermon. I hope you can join us in Zoom live Sunday services that takes place at 11 every Sunday or one of our um, weekly Zoom groups. We'll be reopening soon, but we hope something can continue on Video World as well. We shall see. And I hope uh, if you are part of the Zoom Sunday service, I hope you can stay around for discussions. Thanks everyone, and God be with you this week. Amen. Amen.